Welcome to Making Sheffield, celebrating the Steel City's history and heritage. Our guest today is Women of Steel pioneer, Kathleen Roberts. I was watching the television and it, it was at Buckingham Palace and the Queen was entertaining the Land Army girls for afternoon tea. And that was when it struck me. I thought, well, everybody else was getting recognised for what they'd done during the war, the nurses and everybody. And I thought, what about what we did? Because we actually were the front line. We were taking the steel just after it had been made. And we were making it into things for the forces. And yet, nobody was doing anything about it. So that was when I rang the star. And uh, they, they agreed that something should be done about it. And it, it all came to light. And uh, we did our rounds, visiting the steelworks, different ones, you know. And uh, it was a wonderful journey that we went on to get us recognised. I never thought it would go the way it did. To me, I, I, after I'd rung the star about the women and the works, I sat and cried. I was sat on the stairs and I said to myself, I'd done a foolish thing. I said, people will laugh at you. And it really upset me and I thought, oh, I'll be very careful what I say in future, you know. But then, when Nancy came back with all this, well, it was the sub-editor, I think, actually, that came back to me. Uh, I felt a bit better about it. And as time went on, I just couldn't believe it. And I don't think Nancy could either, you know. But uh, anyway, Ruby and Kit and Dorothy, we eventually met. Because I'd never met them before. We were all strangers to one another because we all worked in different industries, if you know, still in the steel. Um, Dorothy was a crane driver. Ruby, she was working on the uh, Mulberry Bridge for D-Day. Kit was working in a, uh, what was her job, a cauldron of some sort. There were flames coming out of it. She got her head all burnt, her hair was burnt off, and oh, it was a dreadful job that Kit had. But she liked it. And then there was me in a rolling mill. And we got together and we all got on. Just like that. Very well. Kit and I became very good friends. Ruby, she was a character. She really was. She had us all laughing all the time, did Ruby. Uh, Dorothy was quieter, much quieter. 
But we went on this journey and we met some famous people, Robson Green, I met him at the City Hall. Uh, oh, lots of famous people that we see on telly. Uh, yeah, and it was just great. And when we went to London, it was Gordon Brown, who was PM. And we had afternoon tea with him in the gold room. We, uh, we had a tour inside Downing Street, which was very, very nice. And people didn't like Gordon Brown, but, you know, he was a gentleman. I take people on face value, and he was a lovely person that day. And we met his two little boys, John, and I think it was Alistair. It was a Scottish name. And they were the youngest one came and sat on my knee, and he held my hand when we were being shown round. And, uh, but, yeah, he was... Uh, he was really nice, was Gordon Brown. Oh, and the weather was absolutely appalling. Everything that stopped here, there was no transport because of the snow. It was deep in snow and ice. And even in London, they got snow when we arrived there. Yeah. And... Uh, when we came back in the evening, we began to th talk on the train about, are we going to get home? You know, because we, it was still snowing. But it was amazing. Uh, people were there at the station waiting for us, you know. Uh, and friends that turned up in the four by fours to pick me up, and uh, Nancy's husband, I think, picked her up. And we all, in spite of the weather, someone had turned out to pick us all up that night. And uh, we each got a goodie bag, you know, from Downing Street, and a little bottle of champagne. And I gave it recently, I've kept it all this time, and it was my eldest daughter's 50th wedding anniversary, and I gave it them. Now, that I know Kate and uh, Ruby and Dorothy, they all, they all drank theirs at some point, but I, I kept mine, and I gave it to Linda and Malcolm on the 50th. And we'd had tea in the Houses of Parliament with the MPs, where they have, and we had a beautiful lunch. Uh, we sat at this enormous table and we could pick what we wanted and we could, there was plenty of drink, we, can have, we could have just what we wanted. It was a beautiful lunch. And we were shown round the Houses of Parliament, even where they sit, you know, in those green seats and... Uh, where the speaker sits and everything. We were all shown round. It was so interesting. It really was. And then that we went to Downing Street in the afternoon. And uh, I think we came back 
from London on the half past four train. So we had to leave Downing Street in the PM's car and that took us to the station and uh, the driver and he Nancy said to him I bet you could tell some tales because he'd been a dr the driver for quite a few prime ministers you know but uh, yes uh, we uh, we went to the station in the PM's car and uh, yeah and it was uh, a fantastic day out and from then on we were invited all over the place and we gave speeches uh, there'd be hundreds of people sat and the four of us would be telling them what we'd done they were all everybody was so interested at that time about what we'd done because we were told never to speak about it it had to be kept quiet which we did so that's why the people of Sheffield never knew what most of the women were doing because we weren't allowed to talk about it at that time when war broke out uh, just before the war broke out there was we were in recession an awful lot of unemployment about jobs were very difficult to get and uh, it was the war that brought us out of the recession and I was working at Metro Vickers at the time and they were electrical engineers and I was working with them when the war broke out and I had a rather stern manager over us all Mr Sharp he'd been working in India for the firm and he said he wanted all of us to call him, not Mr. Sharp, but White Sahib. I think there's some touched That's what he wanted to call him. But he was very straight. And I played hockey for Metro Vickers, and he used to follow the team around. I won't say what we girls thought about that, uh, but uh, and I I was engaged to Joe at the time, and uh, he went in. He was called up when uh, he went into the infantry. I was building with a we worked in pairs. My had a, a partner the other side of me and. We were making something that was going into Spitfires. So it was a very hush-hush job. And I know, Joe, we got married. I was uh, in 1941. I was 19 and he was going abroad. 
And I asked Mr Sharp if I could have the weekend off because he'd only got 48 hours embarkation leave. And I asked if I could have the time off. And he said, no, can't spare you. Because we were working in pairs and if I... It made things a bit awkward for the the girl that was would be on her own. I decided I would take it. So we got married that weekend. I went back to work on the Monday and I couldn't find my card in the rack. And uh, he'd got it, the boss. It was stood where we clocked in. And he got my card and he went. So I had to follow him to his office. And there and then he gave me my card and my final pay and, and said, that's it, because I'd disobeyed him. So I went to the Labour Exchange and they said, go back. Can't do that during the war. Can't sack you unless you'd done something really, really wrong. And I hadn't. And I said, I'm not going back, because I knew what he was. He'd give me all the worst jobs. So they sent me to Brown Bailey's, and that's where I stayed for all the war. Very different, yeah. And yeah, I still played hockey every week for Metro Vickers. <laughs> and I used to see him, my old boss, every Saturday, yeah. But, uh, yeah, so I stayed till Brown Bailey said, we don't need you anymore. For four years, we were very hurt uh, because they, they never told us that that would happen. They just gave us our cards on the Friday and, and in it was a letter to say, we don't need you anymore because the men were already beginning to come back from the war, the ones that made it, and they wanted their jobs back. We never got a thank you. No. And the same, we didn't all work at the same place, but they all had the same treatment that I had. They were all told, you're not wanted anymore, and no thank you. It was very hurtful, but there was nothing we could do about it. That was it. Well, I didn't do anything for a while because when Joe came out of the army, he was very badly wounded after D-Day and he was in hospital for a, oh, a good year. And so he needed looking after very much. So that was my job for quite a while was taking care of him and getting him back on his feet so he could go back to work, which, I mean, there were many more in the same position. And then, uh, I don't know, and I retrained eventually. Uh, I, I retrained and became a, a printer. 
and I, uh, I worked for uh, Paul Downs, which eventually became Debenhams. Debenhams used to be called Paul Downs. It was a brand new store where they are now, and it was the very first they set on. Yeah, and I worked for display department, so I was getting that ready. And there were no windows anywhere. It was just a deep ditch all the way round, and you used to have to walk across a plank every day to get in. And there was still mixing cement inside when I worked there. And I worked there for a number of years. And they were very nice people to work for. And uh, yeah, so I retrained and became, and I did their advertising and things like that. You know, it was a quite interesting job eventually. Yeah, spent some years there. Joe suffered very badly from post-traumatic stress. Uh, yeah, for, for some... Well, it, actually, it never left him. And he finished up with Alzheimer's. It sort of drifted in, into that. He had, uh, yeah, about time on uh, D-Day, which... Uh, finished him off really. He uh, was never the same again after that. Uh, and there was such a lot of uh, divorces taking place because uh, the men had changed so much and the wives just couldn't cope, you know. We worked through it, you know. It was difficult. Uh, his mood swings and and that, but I mean it wasn't his fault. No, uh, no, I uh, I was with him all the way. Uh, it was difficult, but uh, yeah, because we had uh, good days and bad days. But it's an awful thing, is that uh, post traumatic stress. And he was so full of shrapnel, it shrapnel in his head and all down his... Oh, it was a total mess. And I tried to keep it, this combat stress thing, I, I tried my best to keep it from the girls as they were growing up, because Joe did have mood swings, and, uh, and I didn't think they were old enough to understand what was happening. But we uh, we got through it between us and we, we were married for well over 60 years. I had three grandchildren and they've all got a child. Uh, Louise, she's just had her second, uh, Theo, uh, yeah. Uh, is lovely and Josh, and my that's my grandson's little boy. He was one this weekend, and the blonde-haired one, Sam. He lives down south. He's eight. Well, the grandchildren are quite aware of that. 
but it's their children who aren't old enough to understand. Uh, and as when I've gone, there's plenty there to tell them about the grandma and granddad, you know. So uh, it's in good hands, the story. And uh, I've been writing about it as well for the family. Well, I asked the girls, what do you think your dad would have thought of this? They both said he would have been very proud of you. But he himself didn't like fuss. He didn't like any fuss at all. And, uh, but, she's, but they both said, oh, Dad would have been really proud of you. But he'd have stayed in the background, you know. But anyway, I mean, it gave me uh, another life because when Joe died, I didn't know what I was going to do with myself. And I, because with having to look after him for such a long time, I had no idea what to do about things. Yeah, and we, we had such good times, uh, the four of us, uh, and Nancy. And I thought I'd done a silly thing. I thought, oh, people will laugh, you know. After, and I could have done it years before. But I was so busy looking after Joe, I didn't really have the time. But, I mean, people used to say, why Why have you waited all these years? During the war, we all had so much money stocked out of our wages to pay towards the war. We didn't, we weren't asked. It was done automatically. Uh, may have been a pound, but a pound in those days was a lot of money to us. Uh, well, well, whatever we earned, they, they took this money out of your wage packet every week without asking. Well, when the war was over, we were told we would get that back. I never got mine back. Kit did. And she told Gordon Brown, and uh, she gave him a lesson, <laughs> it was funny, in economics. And <laughs> she told him exactly what had happened to her money and her husband's money, because he didn't go in the forces. They both worked in the steelworks during the war, and they both got their money back. And she told him what she'd done with hers. Her husband bought a greenhouse, uh, an all-metal framed greenhouse. She bought her first food mixer, the first food mixer that there'd ever been, I think. And she spent her money on that. I never got my money back, and neither did Dorothy. And so I, why Kate got hers, I don't know. I mean, if they gave it me now, I'd be a millionaire. <laughs> yeah, 
it was interesting. Uh, if it hadn't been for the all the killing and the bombing, it would have been a lovely time because everybody was so friendly in those days and were quite willing to help one another if you were ever in trouble, you know. There were always someone there uh, to help you. I don't think there's many left now. I must be one of the older ones. I suppose there are a few here and there, you know, still clinging on. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I'm sorry that the, the Kit and Ruby and Dorothy aren't still around, you know. I do miss them. Uh, I mean, even when we, we weren't doing a lot, uh, towards the end uh, but I used to ring them up and we'd talk on the phone I used to go and see Kit because she lived towards the manor top along the dual carriageway and uh, I used to get a taxi and go and see her uh, when she started to become ill uh, Ruby and I and Kevin did go to London. Uh, we went to the uh, museum there and we had a wonderful day. We, we stayed at the officers' hotel in London. Kevin went with us. We had a wonderful weekend. And, uh, yeah, but... Uh, and. Uh, Ruby took a, a, a book about the women of steel that we had, and that's gone into the archives there. So people can see it when they go looking round uh, the museum. Yeah. Actually, we're history, aren't we? We're history. And it's bygone history. But that's how we will be looked upon, because it's all in the archives in Sheffield, which shows you the, how old we are. <laughs> but uh, it's, it's a strange feeling to think I started this and I'll be finishing it. It's, I don't know, it seems unbelievable to me. But it'll go down in history and people will remember what the women of Sheffield actually did during the war. We did more than people realised and we gave up more than people realised. When I think about the young women whose husbands were in the forces and yet the children, and they, they came and they worked all these long hours. They had aunties and grandmothers to look after the children. And they all worked together. You got even the grandmothers coming out to work. 
and they pass the children on to somebody else in the family. You know, they always found a way. It was amazing. Yeah, I know on my shift at work, I know we had two grandmothers. Yeah. And uh, they looked after the grandchildren in the morning and handed them to another daughter, and then they came to work. Yeah, it was... A, it was and they were really nice ladies, you know, uh, to think they turned out to work at their age. I mean, when we went and I went into Brown Bailey's, there were quite a few men, and there were all of them, they were either too sick to go in the forces, or they got something, or they were too old, or they, they were ill, you know, the, the forces wouldn't take them. And yet, when we went in, they resented us. They wouldn't show us anything. They wouldn't show us how. They had to have a good telling off from the boss, Mr Grumpet, he was called. And he really laid into them for... Because he told them, he said, it makes no difference. You're going to have to show these ladies what to do. He was very fair, you know. He, he didn't take sides. And if there was anything going off, he didn't take sides. But it was very fair. I liked him, yeah. And he was very kind and helpful. And, uh, yeah, he was a lovely, a lovely man. I always forget to remember his hair. It always shone. It was very dark, very thick. And I did once say to him, what do you put on your hair? And I can remember, he said, liquid paraffin. That was why it was shiny. Oh, it was an absolutely fantastic day. It was the end to a wonderful journey. The, the four of us went on this journey to get the money to buy this statue for remembering the winning what we did in Sheffield. And uh, it's so wonderful for us all to be here to see this happening because we have travelled very far and very wide to get the money together for this statue. And uh, I'm hoping it stands here in Sheffield for many, many years and people will look back and remember us. Thank you.